Hello, my name is Maggie Taggart. I'm a broadcast journalist and I was BBC Northern Ireland's education correspondent for 20 years. Now I've linked up with the Equality Commission for a series of podcasts on tackling educational inequalities. We've been looking at the problems and also the innovative ideas to deal with them. Today I have two guests from the chalk face of schooling. First of all, Mary Montgomery, who's principal of Belfast Boys Model School, and Chris Donnelly, who's principal of St John the Baptist Primary School in West Belfast. Hello to you both. Hello. Hello. Mary, let me start with you because we've heard a lot about the problem of boys underachievement and you're principal of a boys only school and you must in that role feel a big responsibility to try and tackle that persistent problem of boys underachievement. Well, absolutely. I think as principal, it's it's our responsibility to be constantly questioning our practice and looking at what we can best do to address the barriers that young people face. And there appears to be particular barriers for young men in, in accessing a quality education and, and achieving in line with their with their female counterparts. And that's certainly a, a gap and performance that starts really as young men are, are, are small boys and going into the education system and that gap between the performance of boys and girls grows right to their performance at, at GCSE. So absolutely as principal we've got to be you know looking at research and thinking of the best ways to to tackle that. We'll, we'll be talking a little bit hopefully about what, what you're trying to do and what your success rate has been but first of all tell us a little bit about the profile of your school, the backgrounds of, of the pupils. Well, we have um, 1,100 pupils. We are situated in North Belfast. It's a non-selective post-primary school. So that means that we have children coming to us who either haven't engaged with the transfer process or who have but have failed it. And that can bring with it a kind of myriad of difficulties as young men feel right from the time they join us that they have failed the education system. We're situated in North Belfast, but we draw our pupils primarily from Shankill and Crumlin Road areas. We have 60% free school meals entitlement amongst the pupil population, and that is a, an indicator really of social disadvantage. Chris Donnelly, you're in a primary school, so tell us a little bit about St John the Baptist and what is the profile there of the families in that area? Well, St John the Baptist, um, it's approaching its 50th year. It's 48 years old now, so we're looking at the next couple of years. You weren't there all that time. No, I wasn't. <laughs> I do have a member of staff who was wow. uh, and who is now in the, the 50th year of her teaching career. Uh, so she was there from the start. But it's a school that amalgamated, I think, about a dozen years ago. There was two separate boys and girls schools. There's just over 370 children in the school just under the 40% mark in terms of free school meals. And obviously we're at the corner of the Andersonstown Road, Finnegan Road North areas. There would be a social mix to the school in the sense that it would be in a neighbourhood renewal area and it would get, as I say, the 40% free school meals. But then there would be children from Finnegan, Lisburn Road, as well as that West Belfast hinterland. Uh, so there would be a good mix in terms of the profile of the children and their family backgrounds, which I think within, within my own uh, teaching and school leadership career. You know, before I came to St John the Baptist two years ago, I was in uh, Holy Cross Boys in Ardoin, and that was very much the same profile as Mary's school over North Belfast with, you know, 75% free school meals, mostly from all boys also, which is very unique in primary. I think there's only two all boys primary schools left in the north of Ireland. So, you know, what would tie them both together in a sense would be that they both would, in terms of schools across Northern Ireland, both come from which would be seen to be uh, greater than average uh, 
uh, numbers of children from with free school meals and therefore uh, from areas of relative deprivation uh, and therefore from the perspective of teachers and from school leader it has always been in my mind uh, th that idea that as a school leader and working in such communities you have to have an approach of perpetual vigilance towards the potential for children to be underachieving and knowing the many and varied reasons as to why they might be under threat of underachieving. Is there a class difference, do you think, in, the, in those achieving or not achieving their potential? Within my own school or more? I, I, don't think, I don't think within the own school. I think that's one of the success, I think the models of, of, of more comprehensive schools that we see outside of Northern Ireland, where you would have more social mix. That's the benefit that you'd see, that there is that, you know, the melting pot comes together and it lifts children. So I think it, uh, certainly from my experience, uh, school leadership over from the two different schools that I've had that had that role of vice principal and principal, I think that you have to, from the school leaders' perspective, you have to inject at times that aspiration and expectation within a classroom culture, and that means sometimes it could be your interface of your 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 relationship with teachers, but also within the household to impact upon the child's vision to raise their expectation, and I think that that's something. Uh, I think pretty successfully that will have been done through my career in the two schools that I have worked in. You're dealing with the, the primary school, the younger age group, uh, and that must give you a sense of responsibility in, in making sure that they reach the next stage of their schooling in, in, good, in a good situation to continue learning. Absolutely, and I think that's why many schools, uh, particularly during the COVID era, have been particularly concerned about the younger, you know, that key stage one, the foundation stage, and how those children having missed an element of their nursery, primary one, primary two, how the basic bricks of learning have been missed in that, in that normal progression. And that's why if you talk to many primary school leaders, we're, you know, one of the things I think positive within our education system, our executive, the Engage program that they introduced where you know, additional teacher support was given to schools. Most of the, the principals that I know, including myself, have been targeting that additional support at that primary one, primary two, primary three, to try to almost rescue those children and help them get back on track. Because obviously if they're missing the basics of phonics, of word, understanding of vocabulary, we, we, we know, and, and Mary will be the same, as children go on, the it, it gets harder. As children get older, it gets harder to close the gap, to get them back on track, whether it's girls or boys. And therefore, that's why so much of the focus, whether it was the, the underachievement panels work that I know Mary was involved in, was on, the conclusion was we need to get in early and get things right at the start, both within the school and in the relationship between the school and families. So Mary, as the, the boys uh, get older, and I, we know there's been a particular problem in the attainment of, of boys from a Protestant background. I presume that your school uh, mainly deals with that, that uh, profile. How do you in the boys model tackle that? Well, I think it's important to say from the outset that while the figures in Northern Ireland suggest that the percentage of Protestant boys underperforming is higher 
than Catholic boys, the number of Catholic boys underperforming is higher. So I think it's unfair to suggest that it's just a, a difficulty for one community. I think we have a responsibility to boys coming from working class or um, under uh, you know, disadvantaged uh, areas generally. I think that's important. But just to pick up on a couple of things um, that Chris has said, just, just before I answer your question, you know, the, the gap that um, children coming from areas of disadvantage and for homes where there is disadvantage, they start school at a, dis at a disadvantage. And you, you talked earlier there about class. And while I don't like that terminology, there are certainly deficits in the lives of young people who come from homes where there is financial challenge, um, because with that comes the social and, and, and economic difficulties in the home. So there may well be um, financial trouble that can manifest itself then in mental ill health, substance misuse, bigger social problems that mean that education is way down the list of priorities. So a piece of research um, that's really useful when you're thinking about young people, a, a young child of age four coming from a professional home will have been exposed to around about 40 million words by the age of four. And of those 40 million words, for every three words that, are, that they come into contact with, two will be positive and one will be negative. So there'll be lots of use of praise and can-do type language where the child's coming from a home that is on benefits or um, would be considered socially disadvantaged. They will have about a tenth of that number of words exposure. So about, about four million words. And the ratio of positive to negative is seven to one to negative. Don't, can't, stop. That's the kind of language that they are exposed to in those early years. So by the time they reach starting school age, nursery, preschool, they're at a, a significant language deficit. And they're also coming from homes then where the likelihood is, not always, but the likelihood is that there are bigger issues in the home than education. And that's the challenge. That yes. is, and that, that is why, you know, particularly our education system makes it even more difficult it because does. of what happens after age 11. Absolutely. But that being the challenge, it's school leaders like Mary who are so successful in, in her regard and in other areas who, you know, I adopt what I would call a culture of push. We know the reasons and they're there and those obstacles that some families and children face are just so much more difficult than others. But at the school level, we have to be the ones who take on the job of saying, if there's a deficit, we're going to address it. We're going to challenge it. And sometimes it means uh, trying to find ways you know, where you're trying to entice or incentivize children, but also their parents. Sometimes that'll mean challenging their parents. You know, Mary said it well. She said there's households maybe where education in the list of priorities because everything going on in lives is down here. That's where we have to bang the door or make the phone call or arrange the meeting and say, uh-uh, it's not going well. Your child is underachieving. Something's not yep. going well. The words aren't being alert. The books aren't getting read. Why does a child not know the tables? I asked you to... And, and sometimes from a school leadership point of view, that means we've got to be willing to have... One of the things you talk about professional development is, uh, as principals, uncomfortable conversations with, with staff. Those have to happen, but they also have to happen with parents at times. And, 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 and my experience is sometimes you'll get the response, who the hell are you, or different things that are quite negative. Other times not, but always after the dust settles, the, the parents will understand why you did it. 
and most of them will try to get on board to one yeah. degree or another. And I think one of the things that, that's very apparent at the minute um, for us as school leaders is, is the lack of adequate preparedness as a school leader for those experiences and, the, and those challenges in our role. You know, we're, we're trained as history teachers or, um, you know, primary school teachers or whatever. We're not given specialist training. So when you end up in a, as a school leader in a, an inner city school with the myriad of challenges that that brings, there isn't a textbook you can go to or a, an online course. There's nothing really there and you've got to really learn on the job it's all on the job it is and you've got you've got to call on that network of colleagues that that can help you and and even even to some extent that's limited in its impact because every context is different so the the challenges in your school are different to mine because of the age group but also the community that you service is slightly different to mine so you know really what what we were calling for in terms of the work of the first start report was that bespoke tailored training that 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 helps teachers and school leaders to understand their context and what's a best fit. Uh, you mentioned the, the Fair Start yes. programme and I know you were involved in that. Now, I know you and your school have a positive story to tell. So tell us a little bit about, about the practicalities that, that might be uh, reiterated by the Fair Start, which was ma making sure all children had a, a good grounding in education. In terms of the fair start, if, if sort of take you through that, as as Chris said earlier, the focus there is on early years. The, there are 47 actions recommended in that report, and the, the majority of them and the, the biggest spend is in early years because we recognise that the absence of an effective home learning environment in the early years means the deficit exists at preschool, and that that gap simply just widens. And by the time they get to post primary, you know, that's a huge lift. To, to raise that expectation and to get them to the, the accepted levels of uh, performance at GCSE. But there are eight areas addressed in the Fair Start report and each of those in turn deals with what we see as the key barriers uh, as a result of um, social disadvantage. So um, there's uh, the investment in early years, you know, there's got to be more, more focus on the developmental milestones that children reach in their early years and that means investment in health visitors and speech and language therapists in those preschool places um, that there's the right parenting support because there's not a parent I've never met one in my in my almost 30 years that doesn't want something better for their own child than they had themselves but they can often be just overwhelmed by their context so it's it's about it's about parenting support the, the second area then is emotional health and well-being and that's so important, you know, we're dealing with the emotional health and well-being of the pupils, but I'm sure you're the same, Chris. It's often the emotional health and well-being of the family. So schools like ours are signposting, you know, engaging with community and at statutory and voluntary agencies. Community networks are so important because you can be then signposting a family if it's if it's debt management, if it's substance misuse, if it's just simply um, someone to help them access forms to claim, you know, free school meals entitlement or whatever uniform grants those are barriers for those families the other areas that the uh, fair start looks at is you know appropriate training for your teachers because teachers tend to come through a middle class system you know of their own post primary experience possibly their own parenting and and you know their own family experience may well be be middle class they come through grammar schools universities and then they find themselves teaching in north and west belfast or 
some other inner, inner city area and it's completely out of their comfort zone, nothing at all like what they, what they expected. So we've requested that there's appropriate training for teachers, but also that specialist training for for leadership, that's that's also so so very important. The curriculum needs to be appropriate. That's another area, um, and that's kind of getting into how we measure young people, because not every young person is going to pass GCSE English and Maths, and they're certainly not going to pass it in the way in which we measure it at the moment, because we we use a bell curve approach, which means there's always pupils who fail. It's not a it's not a competency based assessment. So uh, we've called for change there. And then there is a particular focus on boys. And I think boys are unique. Boys thrive on relationships. Boys like to be liked. They want you to like them. They want respect. That is so important to boys. Um, you know, girls, maybe this is a little sexist, but girls tend to be much more submissive and compl compliant and, you know, color code and alphabetize. And, you know, it's all highlighted when they're doing their revision notes. Boys won't even be able to find their school bag. Um, <laughs> One of the things on that I found interesting, because recently there's been money coming into schools around for yes. premises for counselling. And sitting with the vice principal and other members of the school leadership team, and we were going through names, maybe for education, psychology referrals, who we would recommend for counselling, and we realised we're putting down all boys. And part of it is girls mask it because they don't act out physically. And that can be a danger at times that we, you know, we, we, we react to the in-your-face problem. We that do. is, the, oh, for goodness sake, where'd he go? You know, where'd he go? Set him down. We need to get somebody helping him. And that is a problem that we can't miss out with girls. My experience for 15 years in North Belfast and all boys primary school was was similar to what Mary's is. that and, you know, Soccer was king, so there was a way of connecting with the boys. So I set up a link, reading link with Cliftonville, because the boys in Ardoin, very close to Cliftonville Football Club, uh, incentivized dads, reading programs, saying to dads, having them in, saying, look, you enjoy taking your kids to football match, the boys. Let's try to make reading, you know, 15, 20-minute challenge like that, a shared experience. When I found I moved to West Belfast, I found it was quite striking, not only the co-ed issue, but also Gaelic in the area. Gaelic, and was quite surprised, even though I'd like to think I know the area, but the Gaelic sports were more rooted in terms of the family's commitment to their clubs. So I set up a similar link then, instead of with Clinton, North Belfast, I set it up with Sarsfields, one of the local clubs. Now, you had to be careful there because there was five or six local clubs and you couldn't be seen to favour one <laughs> over another. But the point was that you find, and this is where, where I'm coming to is, a community school is so important. That vision of a, a school anchored in the community. You know, one of the first things I did when I came to St John the Baptist was set up a community links coordinator. And it was a teacher who I knew was going to, you know, obviously you throw it out, but the teacher that went for it, people knew was the best fit. Somebody already embedded in the local community, so many local links, had that proactive embracing approach to try to go out to businesses, to organisations, to set up links. That's so important because what, you, you know, I, I've alluded to earlier sometimes the tensions between the relationship of the school leader and, and, the, ten, and, and the teacher to maybe parents if you're trying to pull more out of them in terms of support. But they'll welcome, they'll embrace it more if they say, hold on, look at what the school is doing for my kid. Look at how they use social media to celebrate the achievements of our children. Look at the provision, look at the capacity that they're trying to get for my kids. If you're doing that, if you're anchoring the school in the community, then when you come to ask for more, that you'll get it. Yeah. We've talked about the, the school community and we can't go without mentioning the 
disarray that's been caused by COVID in that school community and the local communities and trying to get children to continue learning. Mary, how was it for you in your school? Well, we, we made the decision uh, on the 23rd of March 2020, which was the first day of school closure, to stay open. And while the main body of the, of the, the school population stayed at home, we stayed open. We started with five pupils whose parents were key workers and we turned into the hub for North Belfast. And we had actually kids of all ages coming from local nurseries right up to, to the post-primary. And, you know, that, that staying open... I felt was important and it kept our links with the community but I suppose and I'm sure Chris this is your feeling too I feel there's an untold story about COVID I feel that yes we are picking up some of the pieces at the moment um, you know children have returned they're more quiet mm -hmm. there's a heightened anxiety our year 12s have just been through the first set of GCSE modules for um, science English and maths there at the beginning of December a sense of anxiety I've never seen in boys. That's quite out of out of step with well, how does boys. Does that make them keener on learning, or just push them out of the no, zone no, altogether? No, very, very keen, very highly motivated, but but almost beside themselves. With you know, um, with with worry about the the high stakes nature of the exam, and then even that experience of sitting in the exam hall. We would always in the past have, and we did it this time. We had these walking, talking mocks. We call them where they come in and they have walkthroughs of of a similar style of paper and so on to familiarize them but actually in the morning of the the three big exams english and the maths we were having to spend a few minutes at the beginning of just with relaxation and sitting in the seat taking in the environment to sort of calm the whole thing and that's a hall of 200 boys you know it's not it's not five or six students but that's only that's only a, a sort of small element what i see more widely is a group of young people who have been boundaryless and lacking in self-discipline and in routine and social skills huge deficit in social skills you know quiet when they're with their peers reluctant to talk you know reluctant to socialize and i i worry that that will become more pronounced as time goes on i think one of the most significant things that people across society have realized out of the whole COVID experience the lockdowns is the, the, the value of classroom-based learning. Yeah. And whilst I know, I mean, I was very proud of my own school community. We, we like Mary's school, we didn't close. We were open from day one for key workers. And particularly during the second lockdown, we were able to expand even more so to bring in children, not just who, you know, state children, but children who on different grounds that we thought, no, they, they could do with three times a week numeracy boost lessons and others uh, for literacy because we were too worried about what was happening. You know, some families, you, you could just say, I mean, I went out to houses constantly about, you know, uh, calling parents, what's happening? I'm not hearing that the children are doing enough in terms of remote learning. Going out to houses, sometimes to bring rewards, other times to sit and say, listen, Maybe we need to turn that Xbox off, tell him he's not allowed to go on that until he gets these done. You know, and, and sometimes that parent needs you. It's a psychological relation sometimes that a child has with the parents. They need you to say it in front of the child and them. You should you know, have moved into their houses, Chris, <laughs> and told them. Well, but the point I'm making it really is a serious point because it's one I'm very worried about. I do think if we go into another school lockdown, I think that would be the worst one because the hope that came before with 
the vaccine uh, and having those two experiences I think that what what you know schools yes there have been rocky experiences over the last few months since March you know when we got back in uh, but I think that you'll find teachers who I think have been heroic through all this you know they were delighted to get back to the normal form of teaching to have those experiences with the children to watch them grow to help them develop I know parents have been delighted to get the children back in and I think that that would be my fear and I think that when we're having the discussions in society now about what measures should be taken or what principal objections there should be to measures you know people need to keep in mind what our children gain through classroom based learning and really if we're having a discussion around underachievement yeah there, there's no comparison. You know, all of the ways that schools make a difference for the children who need it the most, it's when those children are sitting in that classroom with that teacher from nine o'clock to three o'clock. Yeah, absolutely. Just to sort of reinforce that point, disadvantaged children were so much more disadvantaged yeah. because of COVID and school is a protective factor. The routine, the safe people that they meet, the wraparound experience that schools like ours is for young people that's essential we we don't need a school closure well that has been a fascinating discussion thank you both mary montgomery and chris donnelly for coming along today and helping to explain all those things and give us an insight into your particular schools thank you both very much indeed if you're interested in the topics we've been discussing, this is one of a series of podcasts from the Equality Commission dealing with educational inequalities. You can find them all on the Equality Commission's website. 